Welcome, everyone, to episode 81 of the Practicology Podcast and episode two of our August Summer Challenge 2022. We are memorizing Ephesians chapter one. Last week's episode went through the first six verses of this chapter, but this past week you were to memorize verses seven to 10, and Matthew is going to be taking us uh, through some thoughts of his on these verses. So, welcome, Matthew. How are you doing on your memorization? I'm making some slow progress now. We're recording a bit ahead of time here, so I haven't personally, I'm already making excuses. I know I haven't got <laughs> to the end of verse 10 already in my memorization, and uh, but I'm going to be trying it here from the CSB translation, so I'm going to hold this open to you. You're going to have to fill in some words for me. I'm going to be honest. I, I just got really nervous, actually, Mike. <laughs> What's the first word? Paul. Okay. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to this to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will that he purposed to the praise to the praise of his glorious grace which he lavished on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace help me what's the next word which he that he richly that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding keep going what's next he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time, which will be better as a plan for the fullness of times, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. Sounds lovely. All right. I've still got some work to do, obviously. Mike, uh, you live in sort of a small town, right? Yes, that's true. Maybe that's even generous. Might be a small village. Okay. And you're part of a fairly small church. Also true. And you visit quite a number of other local churches, but none of them are really too famous in evangelical Christianity. I'd say they're kind of small players, you could say. Uh, what's your point, Matthew? Well, my point today is that you are actually part of something really, really big. And for you and me and for all the brothers and sisters listening today, being part of something big doesn't depend on being part of a big Christian denomination or doesn't depend on how many times you've been published in Christian journals or how many followers you have on Instagram. You are part of something big by being in Christ. I like the sound of this. Well, that's where we're going today in this episode of the podcast as we come to verses 7 to 10 in Ephesians 1. And you helpfully brought us through the opening six verses, emphasizing the truth of election in episode 80 last week. And being in Christ was obviously a key part of that opening paragraph. I noticed actually that every verse in your section last week made reference to Christ. Now, in this next section, we get mention of something very special right at the outset. That is the blood of Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Mm -hmm. That is very special. Peter calls it precious. I mean, this is why the Son of God became a man, that he might shed his blood as a sacrifice for us. This is why it's possible for us to be in Christ, because he has redeemed us from our sins. Yeah, let's never overlook that or cease to wonder at it. I've been thinking of the lyrics of number 433 in the Believer's Hymn Book, written by James Denny. 
O wondrous hour, when Jesus thou, co-equal with the eternal God, beneath our sin didst deign to bow, and in our stead didst bear the rod. Listen to the second verse, though. When most in Satan's awful power, O Lord, thy suffering spirit seemed, then in that dark and fearful hour, our souls were by thy blood redeemed. That's lovely. And I gather you're emphasizing the link in that hymn between redemption and blood, just like Paul does in Ephesians 1 verse 7. Yeah, that is the link that scripture emphasizes. As we pointed out in another episode, there were sacrifices that took place in the book of Genesis, but with none of them do you read about the blood of those sacrifices. God doesn't make mention of a sacrifice's blood until he gets to the story of Israel's redemption at the Passover in Exodus 12. Well, redemption is something we dealt with a bit more fully back in episode 56 when we were going through David Gooding's book, Key Bible Concepts. But we've got another blessing mentioned here. Remember, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, as verse 3 says. And last week, we had the blessings of election and adoption. But now in this section, Matthew, we've got redemption and also forgiveness in verse 7. Forgiveness, also a wonderful blessing. We have many trespasses. We've offended God in many ways. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Remember that, beloved brothers and sisters. God sees you in Christ, his beloved one. Therefore, he sees you as forgiven. Your past life need not imprison you. If you've trusted Christ, his blood has granted you forgiveness and set you free. But let me also give you a little challenge to consider from this. Uh, we talked briefly back in episode 78, the one you led us through, Mike, on how theology is practical, how Paul's epistles are often structured so that you've got the first portion sort of laying a doctrinal foundation, and then he applies that with practical instruction that flows out of that theology, right? Yeah, and Ephesians is like that, broadly speaking. Uh, chapters 1 to 3 are more theological. Chapters 4 to 6, more explicitly practical. Right, and one of the points to remember is that the practical exhortations are intricately tied to the theology and doctrine that precedes them. It's not two separate books. The practical application is not a collection of random thoughts as if Paul just had an ax to grind after spending a little time soaring into the heights of theology. Case in point right here, as he expounds how blessed we are in Christ, Paul says we're forgiven according to the riches of God's grace, but he's going to bring up that theme of forgiveness later at the end of chapter four. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Mm, so forgiven people should be forgiving people. Yeah. So theology is practical. Thinking about how much we've been forgiven should not only help us to worship God, but should help us to be ready to show the grace of forgiveness to people who have wronged us. When we think of what we've been redeemed from, let's be willing to set others free from the grudge and bitterness that we might otherwise hold against them. Yeah, I mean, Ephesians magnifies the grace that we have been shown. It says, by grace we are saved, and grace that God will continue to unfold to us through the ages. We have been blessed by a very gracious God. And verse 8 of our passage says that God lavished grace upon us. A very gracious God and a very wise God. He has lavished grace on us with all wisdom and understanding. So God forgiving and redeeming us is not the be-all, end-all of his bestowal of grace. He wants us to know more about his grace. He wants us to know more about his purpose in showing us grace and in placing us in Christ. So you're taking us into verses 9 and 10 now. And I know that's where you're eager to get to because the title of your episode is 
is we are part of something big. But I want to highlight what you're saying for a moment, because this is a big thing in the salvation that God gives us. It's not just a fire escape from hell. We saw that last week when we talked about adoption and predestination. God has given us so much more to explore and revel in. And as you're saying now, he actually wants us to understand it more and more. Yeah, one of the reasons he wants us to understand it better is that he knows it will affect how we live. It will affect how we view our purpose here on earth if we grasp the purpose that God is working out for Christ, according to these verses. I have a Bible student friend who said a little while ago that verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1 are two of the most important verses in the New Testament. Well, that's a bit of an ambitious claim, but they are big. They're, they're telling us that God has a plan. And he's going to bring that plan to fruition at a certain time that he has arranged. And when that time comes, he is going to unite everything in heaven and on earth in Christ. There will be a cosmic unity and harmony that is realized with Jesus Christ as the head. Well, just to give a slight support to your Bible student friend, uh, certainly there are some students and scholars of Paul's Greek here who conclude that in verses 3 to 14, Paul's climax or high point is, is verses 9 and 10. But be, be that as it may, uh, Matthew, what you're talking about here, about cosmic unity with Jesus Christ's head, this sounds like a big plan. It sure is. And brothers and sisters, we're part of the plan. We're part of this big thing. And by being part of Christ's body, the church, as we'll come a little bit later in Ephesians 1, we are experiencing like a little foretaste of the supremely glorious thing God is going to do in that coming era. Ephesians is like a doxology on the glory of oneness in Christ. Hold on a moment there, Matthew. It sounds like you're about to rev some theological RPMs. So uh, before you hit the red line, let me slow you down for a moment. You just said that Ephesians is like a doxology on the glory of oneness in Christ. I did. Now, a doxology is like a burst of praise. So you're sort of saying that Paul is filled with excitement. He's bursting with praise and expounding to us the wonder of our oneness in Christ. Yeah, that's well put. And he's saying here that when the ages reach their climax, the fullness of the times, that oneness, that unity will extend to all creation in Christ. There's the key. But hey, you and I, Mike, we're already in Christ both of us, together in the church. So the church is a foretaste of the cosmic reconciliation yet to be fully realized in Christ. Well, that sounds pretty sweet. And uh, again, it just goes along with your recent series on the church, Matthew. It just raises our view so high of the church. And according to verses 9 and 10, your point is that God wants us to know how great this is, to know that we're part of something really big to know that we're part of it, and then for that knowledge to change us. If I say that what God is going to do for all things in Christ in the age yet to come, that he's foreshadowing in the church today, then that unity in Christ, that submission to his headship and lordship, that's to be seen in our local churches today. That's to be seen in our marriages, in our family lives, in our employment, we should submit to the Lord. That, that's what Ephesians is saying is the practical outworking of this theology. Those things are introduced later in the letter. So Ephesians is given to us so that we might fully know the cosmic role of the church in the eternal purpose of God in Christ so that we might presently walk worthy of that calling as first examples of God's new creation. So it is a big thing that God is doing today in the church. And we sometimes lose sight of it, but it's a big thing that God is doing in the church today. And 
by being in Christ, we get to be a part of it. Amen. So may the Lord preserve us from getting sucked into the vortex of sin and despair that can so easily trap us at times. Hey, maybe you're part of a very small local church today, but at the same time, you're part of something huge, part of the big church, and there's a noble calling that comes with that. Yeah, sometimes I've thought about the people I've left behind uh, from my workplace when I went into full-time ministry, and I think, well, if they could see me in some of the small gatherings where I go, they would think, what on earth did you did you leave all that you left for? You know, like, why? And, um, and the fact is, they just don't see what we can see, how, how big it is to be part of this this church. And maybe you feel, listener, like like you haven't played a big role in the body of Christ. You're not one of the evangelists or pastor teachers of chapter four. Maybe you haven't led anyone to Christ, but God still set his love upon you. You're one of his chosen ones. You're part of something massive and big in Christ. Now we're just picking up on that example you just gave from your personal history, Mike. I mean, Okay, maybe you're not thriving in a big paying job, contributing massive sums to the work of the Lord today, listener. Maybe you're you're toiling away at home on a pile of dirty dishes right now and the kids are going berserk around you as you're trying to listen to this. Well, thanks for listening. And let us remind you that you're playing a valuable role in a huge program that God is arranging. You're part of his kingdom. And that kingdom is going to dawn in a coming day when Christ's cosmic dominion is manifested. That's an interesting way you've concluded that paragraph, Matthew that we're part of his kingdom that is going to dawn in a coming day. I take it you're saying his coming kingdom age is the right time or the fullness of the times that verse 10 is speaking about. I am. I'm thinking that could lead into some more interesting thoughts you have about God's big plan. It could, and it does actually. It's going to take a little bit of time now, but I do like thinking about the big picture that God is painting, and it may not interest everyone. If it doesn't interest you, you can sign off in this episode. But this is actually what verses 9 to 10 are about. God wants us to know his will. He wants us to understand how he's organized human history and what he is working towards. Well, I'm still signed in here, Matthew. I'm going to stick with you on this episode. And I like to think about the big picture stuff too. I, I find that it actually really motivates me and, and helps me uh, stick with the Christian life. Um, but Matthew, it's not necessarily easy to summarize God's overarching story in the Bible. It's a big story. Yeah, that is true. And I have to admit that what I'm going to suggest here shortly isn't just entirely fleshed out clearly in my own thinking. So it could do with some better organization from a, a better mind than mine. Various Bible teachers down through the years have tried to come up with a, a meaningful summary of what the Bible's all about or a way to describe its organization of history. And I feel like a, a model, if I could call it that, uh, a model that I heard a little while ago has been very helpful to me. So I'm going to pass it along today. Well, you come from a dispensational perspective, I believe. And, uh, and so you could just say that the Bible is organized by dispensations, right? I could. And I do believe the Bible presents a dispensational framework. In fact, that's actually the Greek word that some translations render plan in Ephesians 1.9. But I know that word can mean, when I say dispensational, that word can mean different things to different people. So don't automatically take everything you might have heard associated with dispensationalism and attach it to me. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm not really thinking of dispensations right now. One reason for that is that scripture doesn't explicitly organize God's dealings with mankind using the word or theme of dispensations. Scripture uses different concepts more explicitly, I would say. 
So I do believe there are distinct dispensations. Things were different between God and man before the fall, for example. Things were clearly things were clearly different before the law of Moses was given and after it was given. Things were clearly different again in the coming of Christ, who's the end of the law for righteousness, Romans 10.4. And things will be different again in the future. So there are different dispensations. But that isn't the most explicit way scripture organizes its stories or themes. A dispensational framework, I would say, is, is key to understanding the church as distinct from Israel, which is a key lesson in Ephesians 2.3, by the way, chapter 2 and chapter 3. The church is a new entity, a new man. But the Bible is unfolding a program that, that spans these various dispensations. Okay, well, I'm intrigued. And I think a lot of our listeners, at least, are intrigued. And you might be making some of them a little nervous, too. But, but we all want to hear more. So I recall back on another episode, I think it was that episode on redemption we talked about earlier, that you presented a storyline like this. Uh, creation, fall, promise, and then redemption part one and redemption part two. Yeah, redemption part one was redemption purchased at Christ's first coming. Redemption part two is redemption fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. You'll actually get that in this next section of Ephesians in our next episode. And I, I think I've borrowed that from... Michael Vlock, maybe there's others who have used that too. And Michael Vlock also has a great little book, by the way, called Dispensationalism, Essential Beliefs and Common Myths. I reviewed that in a February 2020 edition of Truth and Tidings. But well, that's a decent way, those five things you just mentioned, creation, fall, promise, redemption, part one, redemption, part two. That's a decent way of summarizing the drama of human history. I still feel like we need something with a little more meat to do justice to God's program in Christ. Well then, lay it on us thick. Well, the best way I have seen God's big program presented is in a conversation I had with Mr. David Gilliland, a Bible teacher from Northern Ireland. And I'm not even going to pretend to do justice to the way he would present it. If any of our listeners who know him and his teaching better than I do feel I'm misrepresenting him in what follows, please let me know. But David Gilliland suggests that scripture is organized really around three separate programs that God will bring together in Christ in the times mentioned in Ephesians 1.10, the day when Christ's cosmic dominion is fully realized. Here's a quick summary. One of those programs is his covenant program. From near the beginning of human history, God has made known his purposes for the earth and its inhabitants through covenant. Covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and the people of Israel, David, and then he speaks of the new covenant. All those covenants will coalesce and find their fulfillment in Christ in this period that Ephesians 1 mentions, when all things are brought together and united in Christ. For example, Israel will have all of its promised land in peace like God promised to Abraham in that day. The new covenant does not find its ultimate fulfillment in this era of the church. We're a foretaste of what God will do with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Jeremiah said, in a coming day. So there's a covenant program. A second program is the house of God program or the temple program with God dwelling among his people. You could say that the Garden of Eden itself was a little bit like a temple. And I think we get a little hint of that when you see that tree of life concept carried over into the lampstand of the movable temple that was the tabernacle. Uh, then there's the temple proper that Solomon built. The church is God's temple. In a coming day, the dwelling place of God will be with man and he will dwell with them. So that's just a, a very brief look at the massive theme of temple in scripture. Again, reaching its climax in the fullness of the times. 
The third program is the one that maybe we're the most familiar with, and that is his kingdom program. It was God's intention from the beginning that a man would have dominion. He gave that dominion to Adam and Eve under the headship of Adam. Adam fell, uh, but Christ will reign. He'll never fall. Jesus is the son of David who will sit upon the throne of his father David and reign forever. The kingdom had been promised. It, it was at hand, John the Baptist said, when the king came, when Christ was here, but the king was rejected. Kingdom postponed. But the kingdom's coming, friend. The Lord Jesus is waiting for his father's word and then his cosmic dominion will be manifested. And it's only Christ that brings these three programs and all of God's plan together. This is the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ, it will climax in Christ in that coming kingdom age. Well, you're giving us lots to chew on here, Matthew. And one thing we can conclude from all that you've just said is that God has a lot going on. A lot going on. It's a big thing, this will of God in Christ. And again, the great wonder of grace is that you and I are part of it. And maybe one of the easiest ways to see the practical consequences of this is just to note again that we are part of God's kingdom today, right? Sure. In fact, this is my point in Ephesians, right? We're experiencing a foretaste in Christ today of what God will do on a bigger level in Christ in the future. For example, we who are in the church, we, we take the cup of the new covenant at the Lord's Supper today. We who are the church are part of God's household, the house of God today. And yes, while the kingdom hasn't yet come in the fullness of its power in all the universe, we who are in Christ are part of that kingdom already. We're part of something big. And knowing that should affect how I live today. In fact, Paul talks about the kingdom in this very letter, Ephesians 5, 5. For no one recognized this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. In other words, there's a way of life that accords with God's kingdom. It affects our morality, our sexual expression, and what we seek for our satisfaction and acceptance. Knowing our identity and our destiny impacts our behavior, and our identity is found in Christ. Our destiny is tied to Christ. You're part of something big and special and wonderful, and it all revolves around Christ. Well, I like how you're noticing the ties between chapters 1 and chapters 5 and so on, Matthew. And yeah, God has a plan. Chapter 1, verse 10, a plan to unite or to sum up everything in Christ. And um, I'm excited that already in this life, we get to live out that to some degree. You just look at chapters 5 and 6, and we see that our, our home life, our church life, everything is to be oriented and controlled by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's wonderful to be in Christ, and we're going to explore more of God's purposes for us and how they affect us today in the next episode. That will be episode 82 covering verses 11 to 14. If you're getting behind in your memory, don't be discouraged. Just keep at it. Try to do a verse a day. Um, there's a grace period at the end uh, for those who have gotten a little bit behind. But try to work on verses 11 to 14 and tune in next week as we talk about these verses together. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.